This morning, I am going to do something kind of unusual, and that is I'm going to preach on preaching. Kind of like the old Seinfeld episode where Kramer wrote a, a coffee table book about coffee tables. Um, I'm going to preach on preaching. And I wonder how many of you have ever come to church and heard a message on preaching. Raise your hands. Not, okay, maybe, okay, a couple. Um, I've been doing this for about 40 years. I've never preached on preaching either, but uh, which is kind of interesting to me because when you think about it, one, one of the things I heard is that uh, 65 million Americans heard a sermon last week, a sermon of some kind. And if my calculations are correct, a dedicated, regularly attending churchgoer will spend about one week, that is seven 24-hour days, one week out of every year, listening to someone preach, and that is a long time. And 83% of Christians uh, say that preaching is the top reason for choosing and staying in a church. And yet, with all of that, it's seldom do we ever hear anyone preach on preaching. Now, for preachers, we hear a lot of com uh, comments on our uh, preaching, uh, positive and negative. We get compliments um, and preachers kind of take them any way they can get them. But sometimes those compliments seem to backfire. Like the guy who was trying to compliment me who said, Preacher, I want you to know that every sermon you preach is better than the next one. <laughs> or, or, Preacher, I never knew what hell was like till I heard your sermon. Our preacher, you'll never know what your sermons have meant to me and my wife, especially since she's lost her mind. <laughs> Preachers hear a lot of comments on their preaching, positive and negative, but most of the people who, uh, most people who attend a, a worship service on a regular basis, like this one, probably haven't thought that much about what God actually intends to happen when his word is preached and his people Listen, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, why preaching matters and what the Bible has to say about that. Now, if this is your first time with us, welcome. We are very glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. And to catch you up, this summer we're working our way through a sermon series that we've entitled Church Matters. Church Matters. And we're making the case that in a day when a lot of people, both outside and inside the church, are saying that the church really doesn't matter much anymore. What we're saying is as far as God is concerned, the church matters every bit as much today as it did in the early days when the church first began. As far as God is concerned, nothing has changed. And we've been saying over and over again that the church matters because it matters to Jesus. Jesus told Peter and us that he would establish and build his church and the gates of hell would never be able to destroy it. He said he would preserve and protect his church, his body, his bride, until the day that he returns for his church. And the point is, if the local church matters to Jesus, then it has to matter to us as the followers of Jesus. And if it doesn't matter to us, then we have to ask ourselves, are we really following Jesus? Now, to make the case that church matters, we've been looking at the matters of the church, things like why membership matters, why corporate worship matters, why healthy church leadership matters, why baptism matters, things like that. And today, we're looking at why preaching matters. I mean, think about it. 
Why come to a place like this and listen to some guy talk about the Bible for 30 minutes? Okay, 45 minutes. Okay, sometimes 50 minutes. I hear you. I hear you. It's kind of like the guy who came here from, from a different church background, and, and, they, and they ask somebody, do the preachers here always preach this long? <laughs> but the real question is, why come and listen at all? So I want to jump in, and I want to begin by asking an even more basic question, and that is, what is the main business of the church? Years ago, a guy named Dean Kelly wrote a, a book entitled, Why conservative churches are growing, and his main thesis was that evangelical churches are growing because they stick to business. And then he asked the question, what's the main business of the church? And he wrote, the main business of the church is to keep referring people toward God, to keep viewing the world under God, to keep putting the God question on the table, to keep asking in all of its thought and life together, what does this have to do with God? And Kelly said that churches decline when they forget it's all about God. And he claimed that growing churches never lose sight of the main business of the church, and that is to keep God and the gospel in the forefront of people's minds and hearts. And one of the main reasons of doing, uh, uh, one of the ways that God does that, keeping God and the gospel in front of people, is through the preaching of the word preaching of the word, not doing group therapy from the front, not offering self-help solutions. Too many sermons today are little more than Christian self-help talks, which, by the way, the followers of Jesus don't really believe in self-help. We believe that we can't help ourselves exclusively by ourselves, and we need a God who saves and intervenes and intrudes in our life and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And preaching the word is not preaching politics. It's not trying to make the gospel fit modern day social agendas in order to be relevant. Hear me, too much of what is called preaching today is little more than self-help, political and social commentary, or a story time geared to entertain. But according to the scriptures, true biblical preaching is more God-centered than me-centered. It's more about God's rule than who the next president will be. It's more about God's agenda than woke social agendas. It's more about how Jesus not only comforts us, but he also at times makes our lives more complicated, especially if we really are seeking to know him and to follow him. And consequently, it's more transformational than informational. Biblical preaching is the main business of the church. Now, I hear you, I hear you. I mean, like, well, what about worship? Okay, let's talk about that. The problem is when we say worship, all too often we think about worship as the singing portion of a worship service. But worship is more than singing. The music and the message are worship because worship is responding to who God is and what he's done and is doing and will do through the gospel of Jesus. And that response comes in response to the words we sing and the words we hear, when and if these, those words exalt the goodness and the greatness of God. Now, in the past, people used to think that worship, the singing portion of the service, set up the preaching. And that was misguided because really, Preaching serves worship. Preaching serves worship. John Piper put it this way. I love this. He says, the great aim of preaching is the white hot worship of God's people. 
And that being true, you can understand then that preaching serves, preaching assists worship, and that's true, but it's, it's even more than that. Preaching itself is also worship, or it should be. You see, worship is not a natural act, not something that we emotionally conjure up on our own. No, worship is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to do a work in our hearts to draw our hearts towards God's goodness and greatness. The Holy Spirit works to connect our hearts to the heart of God, and it's the Holy Spirit that takes a preacher's words and turns them into God's word. So music is one way of moving the heart toward God, toward worshiping God, and preaching is another. So preaching serves worship, and preaching is worship. It's both and. Or maybe you could say this, Piper again, preaching is worship seeking worship. Preaching is worship seeking worship. And Jesus said God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. And, 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 and truth-telling is the main business of the church. Now, here's my text for that, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Um, my paraphrase, the Apostle Paul uh, defined the main business of the church to young Pastor Timothy like this, the church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. What's the main business of the church? As I said earlier, to keep the truth about who God is and what God is up to in the world in the forefront of the minds and hearts of God's people. And if that truth uh, is not preached, heard, sung, and embraced, there's no worship. Listen, we, we live in a day when we are constantly bombarded by lies and deceit. Outside those doors, there is very little in the way of truth that comes our way. And there's a spiritual battle going on for your heart and my heart, and much of the battle has to do with whose voice you are going to listen to or who you are listening to. And I tell you, I'm greatly disturbed by the fact that many Christians today are listening to the voices of people who don't know God, don't care to know God, and who ridicule and despise the people of God. Why are we listening to those voices? Sadly, many churches today have turned from God's agenda for the church and have, uh, and have embraced political and social agendas that parade as truth but God says they're nothing more than foolishness. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. The church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of truth. It is in the preaching and teaching of God's truth that we come to know God and his truth, and then we grow as we learn how to live out that truth in our daily lives so that we show what God is really like to people who walk in darkness. No, grow, show. It's all attached to preaching and worship. Now think, where but in a God-exalted, exalting, Christ-centered, Bible-preaching church will people hear truth like this, that God was born a Jew in the nowhere town of Bethlehem who lived briefly, died violently, rose unexpectedly, and kept on speaking truth to those who betrayed him. Where are you going to hear truth like that? Or I like how Will Willimon puts it. He says, infinity inhabiting a finite man, a virgin who is a mother, a baby born into the world he created, 
a God who dies, a dead man who lives, he who had everything submitting to life as a beggar, then the all-powerful one refusing to raise his hand against his killers, the best person who ever lived becoming the victim of the, of the worst of human cruelty. Where are you gonna hear that? And build your life on it. You're not gonna hear it outside the doors of the church. Where are you gonna be confronted with truth like that? That truth is foolishness in the eyes of the world, but it's the wisdom of God in a church where the scriptures are being taught. That's why the church matters, because it's the pillar and foundation of truth. That's why preaching matters, because preaching is the main way that God's truth continues to be proclaimed in our world today. Now, I, for sure, there has been and still is powerful preaching that goes on in stadiums and on streets and college campuses and in jails and many other kinds of places, and it needs to continue to be in those places and increase in those places. But 95% of all preaching in the world happens in weekly worship services like of, the, uh, of some kind, whether it be a dozen believers under the shade of a tree in Africa or 2,000 people meeting in a place like this. For the most part, Christians hear the word preached in weekly congregational worship, and that's why I'm saying that biblical preaching is absolutely essential for worship, and it's absolutely essential for the health and mission of the church. Or to put it another way, God has appointed preaching in worship as one of the main ways of carrying Jesus' truth-telling mission forward in the world. Now, let me give you a biblical foundation for how important preaching really is. If you do, uh, we're going to look at the big picture here. If you do a quick survey of the Bible, you'll find that, pr that, uh, that much of the written text of the Bible was originally sermons preached to God's people through the mouth of God's prophets. Like uh, right off the bat in Genesis, we see Noah preaching to people about the coming flood. Moses communicated who the one true and living God was and is to God's people through his preaching. Genesis is actually a sermon Moses preached, and then it was transmitted from one generation to the next until it was written down. Deuteronomy is actually three sermons Moses preached to the people before he died. The historical books of the Bible are sermons by Samuel and other prophets who show up to deliver God's truth to God's kings and God's people. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Haggai, uh, Zechariah, Malachi, all preachers, all preachers. Amos predicted there'd be a time when there would be a famine in the land, but not of bread, but of hearing the word of the Lord. We're getting close to that today. If you're reading along with us in our CBR, our community Bible reading uh, plan, uh, this past week you would have found yourself in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, and that chapter is about how after some Jews return from returned to Jerusalem from exile. Um, as they were rebuilding the, the walls of the city, they found a copy of the Torah, uh, the law of Moses. And so Ezra stood and read Moses' instruction to the people, and Ezra's fellow priest, quote, gave the sense of the words being read so that the people understood the reading. That is, they preached expositionally. 
explaining the Torah in a way that people could understand and apply to their lives. And that's the main way that we teach here. Take a break from it in the, in the summer, but uh, we going through whole books of the Bible, passage by passage, uh, long passages of scripture, passage by passage, that's what we're doing uh, here. Explaining the text in a way that people can understand and apply to their lives. And back when Ezra did this, when the people heard God's word preached, they wept for joy at finally having recovered words lost to them in exile, but they also wept for sadness at how far away from God's word and his will they had fallen. And the preached word was transformational. It wasn't just informational. It grabbed their hearts and minds and produced repentance and life change. Moving on to the New Testament, again, I'm just, I'm just skimming the surface, but almost half the gospels are the written down sermons of Jesus. Jesus officially began his ministry in Luke 4 by preaching. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news. And Jesus took preaching as his main job. The Sermon on the Mount, the Upper Room Discourse, the Olivet Discourse, all the parables are all sermons. Jesus preached the gospel of the coming kingdom of God, and then he turned around and made preaching and teaching the vocation of all his disciples, commanding them and us to tell the world the good news that it can't tell itself. The book of Acts contains some 28 speeches, mostly by Peter and Paul, that account for nearly a third of the entire text. The church began on the day of Pentecost with Peter preaching, and 3,000 people repented of their sins and trusted Jesus as their Messiah as a result of his preaching. And then we're told that the new church gathered together in homes, and, the, and the, the main thing, the first thing they did was give themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the apostles' teaching. In Acts chapter 7, we see that persecution broke out against the church um, because of a blistering sermon that Stephen gave. In, in one sense, uh, the epistles, all the, uh, all the epistles are like sermons in letter form because they take Old Testament scriptures and the teaching of Jesus and they explain them and apply them to different people living in different places that are encountering different problems. Now, Paul stated his case for preaching in Romans chapter 10 when he says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless somebody is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the preached word of Christ is what he's saying. Now, if you work backward, Paul's logic is preaching, hearing, believing, saving faith. He's saying that preaching is the main way that people encounter the truth of God's word. He's saying it is by hearing the word preached that we come to faith and we grow in faith. And yes, yes, we can come to faith and grow in faith in other ways through somebody just sharing the gospel to us uh, personally, through personal Bible reading, small group Bible studies, conferences, retreats, some form of media like on YouTube. But again, first and foremost, most of us came to faith when we heard the gospel preached in a weekly worship service like this, and we grow in faith the same way. 
And that's why Martin Luther called the church the mouth house. <laughs> the mouth house, not a library reading room. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 1.21 where he said, in God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of preaching. And finally, we come to the book of Revelation, and, and it begins in the first three chapters with the letters to the seven churches. But in reality, they're not letters. Nothing, there's not anything letter-like in them. They are sermons preached by the risen Christ to people in those churches. Now, by the way, that's where we're going after this series. We're going to go into the first three chapters of Revelation, and we're going to look at what the Spirit is saying to the churches, and that's what's coming up next. But with this survey, I'm just, again, I'm just scratching the surface, but I think you can see the Bible's big picture of why preaching matters. All through the Scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, we see that preaching is the main way that God has chosen to make his truth known in this world. Now, here's the thing. When you think about it, it takes two to make a sermon, doesn't it? Sermon making has to do with the preacher and the listeners. So in talking about the importance of biblical preaching, I need to also talk about the significance of prayerful listening. The point is, how you listen matters. Preaching and listening. Now, in what may have been the earliest book, uh, the first book of the New Testament that was written, James uh, writes to the people in his day, and he gives them instruction, and through them to us, he gives us some specific instruction on how to make the most out of listening to God's word. So we're going from the big picture, and we're going to dig deeper now, all right? In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, James says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Now, in the first century, most people couldn't read or write, so they learned by listening rather than reading. And so the, this letter uh, from James was originally read to a congregation, not read by a congregation. And James wants to give his friends some instruction on how to get the most out of the word when they come to church and they hear it preached and when they, or when they hear it read, when they hear it read or preached. And the first thing James says we need to do in order to receive spiritual benefit from the word when it's read or preached is that we need to prepare our hearts. I take it that's what he means when he says, get rid of the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. The first thing he's saying is prepare your heart to hear a new word from God. Prepare your heart to hear a new word from God. He's talking about examining what's going on in our hearts that might be contrary to God's word and will. The word that's already there. And he's saying, examine and see if you are actually putting what you already know into practice. Examine your heart. 
Look at their attitudes and fantasies and lusts and idolatries and envies and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and anything that could, could, uh, could occupy your heart that would be contrary to the truth of God's word and his will because James knows that the things that pollute our hearts will eventually come out and pollute our lives. And so James says, if you wanna make the most out of a new hearing of the word of God, you need to first humbly accept or humbly submit to the word that's already planted in you. He's saying, first, deal with the things in your life that you already know that are contrary to what God wants from you. Now, this imagery of planting kind of drives that point home or illustrates the point because what James is doing when he talks about the implanted word, he's actually implying that before seeding, there needs to be weeding. (laughs) We need to weed out of our lives anything that would prevent our hearts from being open to hearing God's word preached. Now, a worship service in its totality can help you with that. When there is time in a worship service where there's silence, you can use that time to ask the Spirit of God to search your heart and do some weeding. Same thing when the scripture is read. Every song we sang was kind of cool. There was a scripture verse that kind of set that up this morning. And so when the scripture is read, you can ask yourself, what is God saying to me in this scripture? What have I forgotten? What do I need to remember? And when we sing, part of what we're doing, a big part of what we're doing is praising God. But the words of some of those songs can also reveal hard attitudes that get in the way of hearing from God. Like we can stand and sing, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, but what we're really doing is surveying the dress that the lady in the, in the row in front of us, four chairs down, is wearing, and we're thinking, I can't believe she wore that to church today. Or when I survey the wondrous cross on which the King of Glo- uh, Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost, and we're thinking, if they say one more word about money, I am going to scream. Or, and pour contempt on all my pride. I can't believe nobody thanked me for working in the nursery last week. Um, it, 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 those thoughts are easy, right? Those are the distracting thoughts. Those are things that pull our mind and heart away from God. It's very easy to sing heart-moving songs, but not think about them. But the lyrics of many of the songs we sing can actually help us not only praise God, but also examine our hearts and prepare us for a new, to hear a new word from God. And that new word might come through the words of a song. It might come through the preaching of the word, but James' point is to be able to hear God's word, you need to humbly submit to the word you already know, and you need to prepare your heart to humbly receive what God wants to say to you in the present moment. And there's one more thing here that's so important, and that is verse 22 where James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. So the second thing James says is receive the word with a desire to do the word. Prepare your heart for, to hear a new word from God, then receive the word with a desire to do the word. In other words, have a mindset that whatever the Spirit says to you through the words of your preacher, you will, with the Spirit's help, put it into practice because James says, to hear the word and not do it 
is to be self-deceived. And honestly, I can't think of any greater deception among the people of God today than the deception that comes from thinking that knowing the word is equal to doing the word. I can't think of a greater deception in the church today than the deceptions that comes from thinking that knowing the word is equal to doing the word. Simply listening to sermons to increase your bank of Bible knowledge does you no good. Knowing the truth of scripture without putting into practice without being willing to put it into practice, does you no good. And James says, to, if you don't realize that, you're self-deceived. And James gives another illustration to help drive that point home. He says, in verse 23, anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, there are at least two ways that you can get an idea of what you look like. I mean, one is by using a photograph. The other is by using a mirror. Generally speaking, a, a photo shows us what we want to see. A mirror shows us the way things really are. For example, we go to the beach on vacation, we take loads of photos with our phone, and then we start to sort them. We delete the bad ones, we keep the good ones, and the good ones we make even better by editing them and airbrushing them, and then the very best of the best we post on social media so everybody can see how put together we are and how much fun we're having, aren't you jealous? Now, back in the 30s, there was this well-known opera singer. Her name was Madame uh, Ernestine Schumann Hank. And one time, she was in a small town, and she ran out of publicity photos, and so she went to a, photogra to a photographer to have some more made. And the uh, photographer, of course, he knew who she was, and he was like just, uh, you know, like so impressed that he was having this opportunity, and, and he was kind of beside himself, giddy. And he's like, like Madam, I, I, I only hope I can do you justice. And she said, young man, I did not come for justice. I came for mercy. <laughs> In other words, make me look better than I actually look. <laughs> That's possible with a photo. So pictures show us what we, what we want to see. A mirror shows us what we're really like, especially when you get out of bed in the morning fighting the battle of mind over mattress and you stumble to the bathroom mirror. Your hair looks like a tornado hit it. Your eyes are bloodshot. There are pillow creases pressed deep into your face and you look at yourself. Listen, that's the real you. That's the real you. And when you are faced... <laughs> And then you are faced with a choice. You can smash the mirror, and some people hear the word like that. When the mirror of the word shows them what needs to change, they smash the mirror, meaning they attack the Bible or they attack the preacher. And James' point is when the mirror of the word shows you something that's wrong in your life, he says if you humbly receive that word and ask God to help you put it into practice, then you experience Freedom and blessing. Freedom because you're no longer enslaved by the sins that you've turned away from. 
and blessing because God pours out more of his grace and peace and wisdom that you've missed out on when your heart was closed to him. Now, sometimes when a message is over, someone will come up and compliment me and they'll say something like, man, Charlie, Charlie, I tell you, I was really blessed by your sermon today or something like that. And it's nice to hear compliments. I mean, preachers take them any way they can get them. Um, but you know, if James heard that, I, I think you know, he was such an in-your-face kind of guy. I, I, I think James would say, look, you really don't know if you've been blessed when you leave a worship service because the blessing is not in the hearing, the blessing is in the doing. You really only know that a sermon is a blessing on Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday. It's only a blessing when and if the truth you heard begins to work its way into your life. Because a blessing is not being emotionally moved. It's, it's not being entertained. It's not being intellectually stimulated. No, the blessing in, in hearing the word of God comes from doing the word of God. But there's something even more profound here that James is, 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 is saying, and it's something that I purposely skipped over to leave to the end. And James says, when the word is preached, he's saying there's more going on than you realize. More going on than you realize. Look back to chapter, uh, not chapter, look back to verse 21. James says, humbly accept the word that is planted in you which can save you which can save you. Now stay with me. Again, when James talks about hearing the word, he's talking about someone reading and preaching the scriptures. And he says, humbly accept the word planted in you or is being planted in you, he needs, he's, he, which can save you, meaning he's taking this whole thing about preaching and listening and doing to a whole new level. Listen, something happens between the preacher's lips and the congregation's ears that is beyond prediction or explanation. Right now in this room, there's more going on as the word is taught than we can fully understand simply from a human point of view. There's something of a miracle going on in here. It's the miracle of a preacher's words opening someone's mind and heart to faith or greater faith, or maybe it's the miracle of bringing comfort and hope to someone in despair, or maybe it's the miracle of God breaking up the ground of a hard heart and making it soft again, or the miracle of a preacher's words making someone's life more complicated as they do some weeding or as they pray to figure out how to bring their lives more in line with what they've heard. Now, if that sounds a little too over the edge for you, listen to how Paul talks about this very thing in his own preaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul begins a conversation about preaching, and he says in verse 17 that Christ has sent me to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He goes on in verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross that is the preaching of the cross, is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. A little echo from James tucked away in there. He's still talking about preaching in verse 23 when he says, we preach Christ crucified, which he says is the power and the wisdom of God. And then he goes on in chapter two, he's not done, 
In 2, verse 1, he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, and my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, you see in this, Paul didn't come giving Bible lectures. He came preaching Christ crucified, and when he preached, he decided beforehand that he would not say or do anything to try to impress people because he knew that the power in his preaching didn't come from him but from the Holy Spirit. He was completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to show up as he preached, trusting the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do in the hearts and minds of his listeners. And Paul saw his preaching as a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's a bold claim. I mean, if this wasn't in Scripture, we might, we might want to say, hey, Paul, I think, I think you're taking this way too far, bro. But then he goes on and he talks about how when he preached, he preached about things that had been revealed to him by the Spirit. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, we impart this. In other words, we preach these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual, meaning he's interpreting, he's explaining, he's implying spiritual truth to those who have the Spirit and to those to whom the Spirit gives understanding. And that right there, that is the miracle of preaching. The miracle of preaching happens when the Holy Spirit shows up and he takes a preacher's words and he makes them God's word in the hearing and the heart's of God's people. Still struggling with that. Okay, one more. Paul makes the same point in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 when he says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, it, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. That's the miracle of preaching and listening. The word of God comes from God through the lips of a thoroughly humanly, uh, human, very flawed preacher, and it's heard by God's very flawed, sometimes contentious, truth-resistant people. And in all of that, God's Spirit's working life change in all of us. I mean, how do you explain comments like this? It's not uncommon to have someone quote part of my sermon back to me, something she has found especially meaningful, but I never said it. It's not uncommon to hear someone say, when you were preaching, I thought you were speaking just to me. Well, there you go. That's the spirit at work. Or this, that's the best sermon you ever preached. Thank you for giving me the guts to quit my job, sell my pickup, learn Spanish, and move to Honduras as a missionary. And I'm like, where, 
I didn't say that. Or how about this email written to a pastor friend of mine named Will? She writes, I defied my parents just like I told you I would and I went into high school teaching. I figured that was the end of my rebellion, but God had other plans. A friend talked me into teaching a class at Central Correctional Institute, life-changing. So one thing led to another, and long story short, I quit my job with the school system, downsized to a studio apartment, sold most of what I had, and now I'm teaching four classes a week at the prison, loving every minute of it. How did I end up here? Well, I wouldn't have known this is what God wanted out of me if I had not heard the sermon you preached about eight years ago, the one about the rich man and Jesus. You said that when Jesus told him to go sell all he had and follow him, the man just walked away, and then you asked the question, got the guts to follow Jesus? And that's when it clicked. I wouldn't have known a crazy God's crazy plans for me had it not been for your crazy sermon. Oh, yeah, something definitely happens between the preacher's lips and the congregation's ears that is beyond prediction or explanation. Or let me say it this way. God's word informs a preacher's words. The congregation hears the preacher's words, but the spirit takes the preacher's words and makes them God's words and life change happens. I mean, it just gives me goosebumps. How many of you know that to be true in your own life and experience? That you've come to church, you hear something, God speaks to you, and you know it's God speaking, not whoever the preacher is. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Miracles happen in this place. The miracle of God using a preacher's word to open someone's mind and heart to faith or greater faith. Someone put it this way. This is so beautiful. Preaching is more than art or science. It's alchemy in which, in which tin becomes gold and yard rocks become diamonds under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 3? Verse 2, when he says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Hearing with faith. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or the hearing with faith? You see, it's easy to come to weekly worship and you know you see some friends and you drink some coffee you come in here you hear some announcements you sing some songs drop off your offering hear some preaching visit with friends again and go home and feel like wow I'm so glad I went to church today and I'm not saying there's anything necessarily particularly wrong with that maybe kind of sort of but do you see that God intends for you to experience much more than that when you come to weekly worship when you come to this place and hear the preaching of God's word, he's actually continuing a conversation with you. Now, it's a conversation he's been trying to have with you all week long because the Spirit speaks to you all week long and, and in and through everything that comes into your life. He's speaking in all kinds of ways, through a friend, through personal Bible readings, small group Bible studies, community groups, whatever, through circumstances sometimes. 
the Spirit is speaking. I wonder, though, are you listening? And when you come in here and some preacher stands up to open God's Word to you and God wants, what's happening is God wants to continue the conversation with you. And the question is, are you listening? Now, let me just, let me give you a couple things uh, to help you hear what God wants to say to you maybe more clearly, quickly, and then we're done. Before the message, maybe Saturday night or, or when you come in, or maybe early Sunday morning, or, or sitting quietly in your seat before the service, but sometime before, ask the Spirit to remove all the distracting voices that are screaming for your attention. All the things on your to-do list that now that you're in a quiet place, they all come rushing back into your mind. Ask the Spirit to remove anything in your heart that might prevent you from hearing what God wants to say to you today. And, 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 and then during the message, listen to what is being said as if God is speaking to you himself. Actually, pray, Holy Spirit, speak to me in this word as it is read, as it is preached. And listen with eagerness to receive the word in order to put it into practice. And can I just pa push pause right here and just say, listen to whoever's preaching, not just your favorite preacher. And I know, you know, it's not uncommon when you have multiple teaching pastors, you've got certain people you click with and resonate with, and maybe some, some others, maybe not as much. I understand you might not resonate with a certain preacher's personality or mannerisms or what he wears or his grammar or his hair or his shoes or tats. And you're, I know you're sitting there going, why is Charlie wearing such white, bright suit shoes up there? But um, you, what, what, what you need to understand is that God has a long history of speaking through unlikable, unattractive, poorly dressed, backwoods, hard to get along with people, and he kind of makes a practice out of it. Read the Bible. So you can hear the Spirit through whoever the preacher is, if you listen. And then after the message, maybe later in the day before bedtime or Monday morning, think back over what you heard and ask the Spirit again what he wants you to do with what you've heard. Those are the kinds of the ways that we prepare our hearts to receive new word, a new word from God when we come in here on Sunday morning. Preaching a sermon is not an exclusively human work. Listening to a sermon is not an exclusively human work. There's a very real sense in they're both miracles, or they can be or should be, miracles that the Holy Spirit wants to work in you to grow you in your worship and to grow you in your faith. And, I, and all God's people said, Father God, thank you so much for opening our eyes today to see maybe some things that we, maybe we knew them and maybe we just forgot them. Maybe in the rush and the busyness of getting everybody together in the car and getting all the kids dressed and all the kinds of stuff that go on, we just, we just really forgot about how to prepare our hearts to worship. But thank you that for these reminders and thank you for the, for the truth that you really are at work through what we do here in worship to change lives, to draw people closer to your heart 
and to send people out on Jesus' truth-telling mission to those who desperately need to hear it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.